Welcome back to the Four Podmen, the weekly podcast we bring you each and every week on the Dynamo Podcast Network. Head over to YouTube, smash that subscribe and bell notification button. Audio versions of the show are available through Spotify, Podbean, iTunes, wherever you pick up your audio shows. And if you'd like to contact the show, you'll get us on Facebook, the Four Podmen, and also on Twitter at T Podmen. Joining me tonight, you'll see a very different looking Four Podmen but four men in attendance, no less, where we're going to go through an interesting topic, which is a kind of a follow-on one from last week's one with myself and Joe, where we took a look at TNA wrestling and the impact that it had on the pro wrestling landscape. We said this week we would tackle WCW and the impact it had on the pro wrestling landscape. As always, joining me tonight, the podfather of the network, Ian the Dynamo Kelly. How are we doing, Ian? I'm back. I'm back. I'm back. Oh, good. Uh, Thanks to everyone for all the messages of support over the last couple of weeks. Really appreciate it. So, yeah, glad to be back. Also joining me tonight, my partner on the podcast, as always, who brings the beef most weeks, Joe Dygman. How are we doing, Joe? I am in excellent form. Good, good, good. That's good, a terrible good. lie. I did leg day this morning. I'm bollocks. You look excellent. <laughs> Also joining us tonight, not necessarily a regular on the four man, four pod man, I should say, but a man who rocks retrotainment, dropping some great episodes at the moment, movie reviews, and also recasting movies with his co-host Greg and Carl Sherlock, Pat Irwin. Ted, how are we doing? Ah, not too bad. I'm uh, filling in here, so uh, I need to rattle off the first few bits. Uh, Hot Dog Hogan, fuck him. Uh, the Ultimate Warrior is the greatest of all time. Um <laughs> Vincent Brett was a it wasn't a screw job the two boys are in collaboration together and it's the lo- longest working work of all time is there any more you need to howl as well yeah you need to howl no I can't do that that's his specialty I can't take that bit I'll just take the smaller bits you know we need it's, 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 it's like he's in the room isn't it we like... <laughs> need to use a lot of big words today <laughs> this will definitely be calico <laughs> without a shadow without, and a lot of hokey kitsch <laughs> right then where do we begin WCW Ted love the background of course have to mention yeah. that um, and we'll start with you obviously because you're kind of our resident WCW guy when it comes to these things Um give us kind of an overview I know it's hard like where do we begin and what do we pick out of yeah, well, look, yeah, I'm a massive WCW fan, have been, like, since, I would say, 1993, from what I can remember, um, when it first pretty much aired on uh, UTV, if for anyone that's old enough to remember that. That was the kind of first, um, that was the first kind of taste of WCW that we got over here in, in Ireland, anyway, and, and the UK, Um I just loved it purely because it was wrestling. I didn't care. Once I saw a wrestling ring, I didn't care who the guys were. And then, obviously, being a kid, I was like, hang on a minute. I remember that guy from this videotape. You know, you'd see, like, the big boss man rocking up with a different name. And, you know, uh, Rick Rude at that time as well was in there. And then I just fell in love with Sting straight away. I was like, who's this guy? He's awesome. You know, the whole look was perfect. It was like, it's like Ultimate Warrior, but better. This no is- one's better than Ultimate Warrior. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. It's Thanks, Jay. Sorry, Jay. Surfer staying in his prime, but um, you wouldn't get like you wouldn't really get um, a hold of obviously the pay per views around. So you were literally getting their their TV tapings and and the um, 
you were kind of getting, I suppose, the syndications that they would put out. Um, but all the same, it was awesome. And I used to be like, going, where the hell do we get to see this big match that they're building up every minute? You know what I mean? Um, but then again, unlike, uh, you know, WWE at that time, and, you know, you weren't, I suppose, nothing like the tree. Like, yeah, you probably would have been getting, you know, on our syndications of, of WWE broadcasting, you were getting the title holders, you know, on the show every week. Unlike Hogan back in the day, you were like, I'm watching Saturday Night Main Event here, and where's Hogan? Like, I want to see him. But um, no, it was it was phenomenal. And and the rundown of WCW, just to, you know, to give people a bit of a a basic background who don't know, but I'm sure most people do. Um, it did. It pretty much was NWA, and 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 uh, it kind of transformed from NWA into WCW in around '88. Once Turner Broadcasting um, took it over, um, and it was it was kind of. Uh, it was one of those things that like they even still had NWA on the, on the ring aprons at times, if you remember Noel yeah. um, and Georgia championship wrestling and a lot of those kind of, um, I suppose sister companies would, would kind of have them as syndication as well, because syndication was such a big deal, um, you know, in wrestling in general, but it was very, very big for, for the Southern, uh, for the Southern companies. And um, yeah, I mean, once, once, uh, once he kind of, basically bought up all the assets of, of the Crockett um, promotions, then it pretty much done a full 180 and went into, uh, went into WCW then. And, um, and I believe the first, it was first coined um, on a show in Georgia championship wrestling as well, because the Florida, the Florida kind of territory and the Atlanta territory kind of done a, they pretty much worked in tandem in a lot of ways, you know, and um, you'd always see the same faces on both both uh, both territories, the Grahams, the Rhodes, um, were were kind of synonymous with both, more so Rhodes, but the, the you would see a lot of kind of talent swapping and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, I mean that's that's pretty much how it started. I'm sure we're gonna go go into more detail as we go on, but uh, that's kind of the birth of WCW, if you will, around 1988. But then realistically when you look at it 1990 is when it really took off you know what i mean the, the late 89 1990 is when uh you saw a lot more wcw they had that kind of sexy logo not the one that ted has there um but the better one <laughs> this is the best one <laughs> that's 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 the that's the bullshit, bullshit. Uh, but just on so i just wanted to talk about something that ian mentioned there during the sure during his uh his uh quick uh, minute history of WCW, uh, the beginnings of WCW, I should say. But um, it was just when you talked about uh, when you were watching it on UTV. Sure. And, and um, you, we didn't we didn't get the pay-per-views and all that kind of crap. And you said, where's this big match that we keep building up to? And that's something, look, at watching WCW back now, it's painful listening to some of the commentary because they constantly just push the main event you know, while there's a great match yeah, happening in the ring, yeah, yeah, they're yeah. talking about this main event happening at the yeah. end of the night. And it's like, oh, lads, Christ, shut up, will you? Now, it was probably fine at the time, but watching it back now, it's, it's painful at times listening to them. It was actually it was something, it, it actually was a, it was something that they did even throughout their success on mm. Nitro as well, uh, Joe. You're oh, yeah, I know. That's what I mean. Like, when you look, when you go back and you watch, as you said, like, go watch old Nitros around the day. It's like, oh, lads, Jesus, shut up about that bloody match. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but, like, you know, but I'm sure it was, 
it was great for them to keep numbers or whatever. It obviously worked at the time. But it's just yeah. it's just very annoying going back and you're watching this cracking match in the middle of the ring and they're talking about a match that hasn't even happened yet. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because um Pro Wrestling Illustrated actually and all of their kind of publications, they actually uh they they used to refer to it like they were kind of one of the ones that really coined the WCW phrase, like you know what I mean? Um, and, and that's where the kind of influence came from because Pro Wrestling Illustrated back then was, you know, I mean, that was something that we did get over here. And and actually, that's how I got my pay-per-views. <laughs> was reading them and looking at the pictures. And in a lot of, in a lot of um, you know, it wasn't like the glossy WWF magazine, you know, it was uh, it was the black and white stuff. You know, it was like, uh, it was like Reader's Digest in black and white with that. Yeah, like newspaper. Yeah, like newspaper, yeah, yeah, I still have some of them around. Somewhere. But you'd read it cover to cover, you know. Oh, yeah, like, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, you know, and they would give you like some of the some of the writers back then were great because they give you a full breakdown of the match and everything. You know what I mean? And it was yeah. like, I suppose when you're a kid as well, you've got such a vivid imagination, so you can actually see the match almost unfold in your head. You know. Yeah. So uh, that's how we got it, kids. Imagine how lucky you are now. It's it, it's mad when you look back now, isn't it? And you think. Like for our younger viewers and stuff like that, obviously who've existed all through the internet and stuff like that. Mm. Like it was, it was a lot of effort to be a wrestling fan back then. Like it wasn't fed up to you. Like it wasn't dished no. up to you on a plate where you click onto Google or whatever you pick up your wrestling or YouTube and you can get highlights of these matches and summaries and all that. Like you had to work hard to to keep with it every week and stuff like that. You know, you couldn't like there was no like recording there was no like sort of like you know if it was on at eight o'clock on a saturday or whatever it was you had to be there at eight o'clock on a saturday to get on unless as ian's mentioned in previous episodes you had an uncle would allow the blank vhs tapes who was willing to do the job for you but oh. if you miss if you missed it there was no replays and stuff like that like you, oh, yeah, like you could, oh, me whole wrestling love for, it, yeah. for that <laughs> but it's not like you could rock up on a sunday having breakfast and go oh, i was out last night so i'm just gonna watch it now you know it's it was it was like you were on a schedule as a fan, you know what I mean? And I also think as, as well... I, as I said to you, Noel, as well before, like as I said on a previous episode with uh, with, with Finley Martin, I mean, once, once you know, 97 rocked around, 98, you know, that's that's how I kind of got access to the, you know, to the, to the big pay-per-views once the WCW-NWO thing happened. Yeah. Even before that, I remember spending hard-earned pocket money on like hard-earned pocket money, you know what I mean? Yeah. Back in the day, you did actually have to work for your pocket money, believe it oh, or not, yeah. and do chores. Like 20 shop visits just to get the fucking first order right was was the standard in our house anyway. <laughs> um, but, you know, you'd spend your pocket money like by sending off a postal order to the States like for, for that one tape. And you're like, yeah. you had to make an assessment on which tape that you wanted to actually purchase. And it could be like, say, maybe 12 quid but a 12 quid back then is probably the equivalent maybe now of what fucking 30 quid or something like that. You 30 know or I mean? 40. Yeah. Easily. Maybe yeah. even more. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you, 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 you kind of picked that one type of that one match that you wanted. And I remember, um, I picked out, uh, I think it was actually, do you know what it was? It was the, uh, it was the one that, uh, Brian Pillman and Yushin Thunder Liger opened. Um, that was the that was the tape I eventually got about six months later <laughs> into a new wrestling season. <laughs> but it was new to me, damn it. It was new to me, damn it. Once I put that tape on, it was like this is happening now. You know? Yeah, yeah, you can Just tell on, on, on that Nile about how it was how it was 
you know, quite tough to be a wrestling fan back then. And, you know, that you're, you were on the hunt the whole time. Like, one thing I will say is that it probably was hard for Ian, but it wasn't for me because I just piggybacked off all the stuff, all his hard work. <laughs> I just went around to his house and watched everything. <laughs> but to be honest with you, I like the work. Like, I mean, it's, it's like people ask me and Noel why we're, we're collectors. Like, and I think in a lot of ways, one of the best answers I can give is sometimes the chase is better than the catch, isn't it? Um, it's it's actually, it's sometimes it's the hunt for these things that you've wanted for so long. And then when you get it, it's like, oh, grand, I've got it. Now I'm, I'm on to the next thing. That's the older you get. But when you're younger, I would play those goddamn tapes real, you know, until... Until they were raw, yeah, until they were busted. Pretty, pretty much, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I think that's that's what it is. I, I liked collecting stuff like that, even though I didn't know I was a collector at the time. And lads in school and all would be, oh, can I borrow your tape so I can... Because they'd have the yeah. two recorders, you know, that we could put the two of them together and, yeah. and yeah. tape them. And I'm like, no. <laughs> You're not getting my fucking tape. <laughs> but um, to touch on Joe's point as well about the commentary, Joe, back then, we kind of didn't. It's only when you look back on it now and you see yeah. that kind of stuff. Because back, it's only now, I suppose... Well, not now, but you know what I mean, in the last, say, 10, 12 years, 15 years, whatever it is. It's when we look back at WCW and we see that, like, there was so much amazing stuff going on in that mid-card and undercard and stuff like that as well. That, yeah, that commentary should have been settled in that and stuff like that. But back then when we were looking at it, we all appreciated the work of those guys, but we all wanted to get to the main event. <laughs> you know what I mean? We really did. You know, so the only thing you would say, Noel, in fairness, is that the, the guys, especially back in the early 90s, like when you look back at the, at the you know, they would only meant, you know, when you look back on the pay per views now on the WWE network or wherever you watch it, and um, hopefully it's legal, yeah, right. But uh, <laughs> you, you know, with the commentary team of the likes of Jim Ross and Jesse Ventura and all that, and you know, different people that they would have in, they did concentrate on the pay per views on the match at hand, you know what I mean? And Jim yeah. Ross made sure that. Um, poor old Tony Schiavone and Nitro is kind of where this really stemmed from where it was yeah. in his ear like getting told say this, say this, say this, yeah. say this you know like to push the NWO agenda or push the main event agenda but back then good lord I mean was there a better uh, you know commentator move for move hold for hold than, than Jim Ross I mean that was his prime you know what I mean yeah. um, and I just, it didn't I, matter who you put him with like yeah, I just think I suppose as your age you sort of develop a greater appreciation for, say, the Mike Rotundas and, oh. the, and the Barry Windhams and the, you know, who else? Larry Sabisco's, all those type of Yeah, players. oh, Larry, Larry yeah. was absolutely... Do you but, remember Larry used to take that bell for about 10 minutes yeah. before he even yeah. got on the commentary booth? Because him, uh, him and Bobby the Brain used to share yeah. double duty. Yeah. In the first half of the show would be uh, Bobby and then Larry would come in and he'd be like... <laughs> and and it, was, it was kind of strange as well because all those kind of 80s guys and even somewhat 70s guys, if you like, they, they all came into the 90s and still wore those sort of shiny jack zip jackets, ring oh. jackets and stuff like that, you know, so it's it's those little small things that it's only, I wouldn't say again now, but over the years that I've learned to appreciate more, I, you know, when I was watching wrestling back then, I was watching NWA and stuff like that, I didn't have an appreciation for the likes of a Larry Sabisco and stuff like that, because I was so engrossed in your horsemen and your road warriors and Dusty Rose and all those type of guys. It was Lex Luger. Yeah. It was hard to yeah. focus on when a Larry Sabisco got in the ring, say, with a Mike Rotunda. You know what I mean? You'd be going, what the hell, like Varsity Club or whatever it is. Even Dr. Death to a point, you know what I mean? Um, 
it, it's yeah. only now I go back and I watch all that stuff and really, really appreciate it, you know. Consider it's it. even like, even for me, I mean, Noel, you're kind of like a little bit of a generation before me. Mm. Even like I said, back in 93, like I had a WCW sticker album, if you probably remember that. Yeah. Because um, you'd have been old enough to remember that. And like there was only a couple of shops, I think one shop in Bray you could get it, which was Harris's. And I remember at one point, my dad just went down and said like, can I just buy the box off you? Because he's coming down and buying the buying the stickers pretty much every, every other week and he's buying two or three. And their man like gave him the box and uh, I still was about three stickers short. I was going, go down and ask him to order another box. But uh, <laughs> I remember like, you know, the whole Johnny B. Bads and the Scotty Flamingos. I loved Scotty Flamingo yeah. for some reason, even though he's a bad guy. Little did I know he would go on to become Raven like in later years. Yeah. But good Lord, when you look at some of Raven's work as Scotty Flamingo back then, man, he could work. You know what I mean? It's a, it's amazing that they brought him in as, as Johnny Polo in WWE because he should have been in the ring. But then again, he was such a good talker as well that, you know, he was on all the Coliseum home videos for anybody that remembers the, you know, those, those, uh, those commentaries. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm the same, Noel. I, I didn't appreciate people like, um, you know, although I don't think I ever appreciated Johnny B. Bad, I'm not going to lie. Um, but even like Buff Bagwell when he first came in and he was just Alexander Bagwell, you know what I mean? His white meat baby face coming in, you know, with the black and the white. It's only when I go back and go, Jesus, Bagwell was actually all right when he first started. He had, he fired up, he had good fucking, you know, he he had good, um, you know, he'd, he'd let, the, he'd let the, the heel get heat, proper heat, like, and, and he'd fire up and yeah, you know, those boys down in uh, down south, they knew how to play the baby face. And, uh, you know, that old, that old school, you know, the white meat baby face would get up and like, come on, come on. And the crowd would fucking eat it up. It was, it was a system that absolutely worked. And, and like you say, Noel, you, you kind of only appreciate it now. And, and it shows you wrestling can be made complicated by idiots, just like most sports, you know. That, that, yeah. good, that good territory training. Oh. Embedded in them. Oh. Amazing. Yeah. Um, Joe, we obviously, a week or two ago, we dropped NWO celebrating 25 years. And we, we obviously touched on the impact that they had on the business, which was such a big part of WCW as well. But, I mean, what's your memory back then of WCW high-level type of stuff? I know you're a huge Macho Man fan and stuff like that. So, did you did you follow him across when he made the move across, or were you purely WWE? He got it through me. <laughs> I, I, I didn't really know, to be honest with you. I got I got some stuff through Ian. Like as I said, I piggybacked off all his hard work. Um, but to be honest, no, I didn't. I didn't uh, really follow WCW at all. I, I, I'm more I'm a retrospective fan of it, where I've gone back to watch uh, a lot of it. But uh, at the time, no, I wouldn't have been. I was. A WWF guy, and uh, I think it was on Sky One at the time or something like that. It was actually perfect was for you, actually, Joe. Thinking back now to to go back and watch because obviously, especially when TNA the first kind of say decade of TNA, it would have been very much in the vein of WCW in terms of the guys that they were bringing in and and the, the Southern crowd. So yeah, I didn't even think of that. That would have been kind of right up your alley to go back yeah. and watch that stuff. Is what I mean. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely, and like. And like Ian, I, I, I've, I've gotten a great appreciation for some guys that I, I, I kind of vaguely heard of, didn't really know much about their work, you know, and uh, had to look back at that. But um, one guy I did, I have to, I did love from uh, WCW before ever he was near WWE was um, DDP. And um, myself and Ian used to argue about him because Ian didn't like him. <laughs> he was it's brilliant. A story. It's a story. <laughs> 
yeah, you know I, what, thought, I thought he was class. Me and thought he was shit. And, uh, so yeah, that, that <laughs> was one. That, that was one guy we used to argue about a good bit all the time back in the day. I, I, I still think BDP is brilliant to this I'm day. going to share my side of that story now because what Joe says is 100% correct. And DDP, I know we're probably going to get him on one day and, and uh, you know, I apologize, but I'll tell him this myself. When I first started watching him, I mean, I was, I was like, when I first went to Nitro when Brett moved, I was like, who's this older guy here? Like, why, why is he getting all the props? You know what I mean? And I think I didn't really watch what he was doing in the ring enough to realize how good he was actually in the ring. Do you know what I mean? I was just looking at this older guy with this mad hair and I was like, what, what's this guy about? You know what I mean? And uh, it, like, like Joe said, it was actually one of those. Of, I didn't appreciate how good DDP was until I actually got in the ring and learned how to wrestle. That I realized everything he'd done made sense and was crisp and just perfect. So, uh, and I have to say, like, that cheered me up. Everyone knows we had a bad week there last week. That cheered me up tenfold when I saw, you know, the idea of something that Noel and myself came up with with the four podmen, you know, the concept. Joe, you remember this in its early infancy when I was trying to come up with an idea of having four lads. Like, to have DDP give us a shout-out, that's that's just unbelievable to, to, to have that. And, and, and like I said, I've become a massive, massive DDP fan, not just as a pro wrestler, but as a human being. Um, love everything about the guy but yeah Jesus H. Christ I think to this day he's still underrated absolutely yeah, yeah. I think he's phenomenal Ted any thoughts WCW yeah I, I was very similar to Joe like WCW I, I never watched WCW when I was a kid um, I was WEF the, the whole way through uh, Sky Sports 11 o'clock in the morning Saturday mornings until the pandas ruined it all yeah, until those bloody pandas came in and made a problem for it, and it had to be WWE. But uh, no, yeah, it's all retrospective to me. Like I had to go back and watch all of it. Like um, even my, like when Jericho debuted in WWF, I had no idea who the guy was. He came out, looked like a million bucks, in like interrupted the Rock. I was like, geez, this lad must be something special. Oiled up to the nines. Yeah, then then you go back and watch it. Like you watch his stuff in WCW, and you see, all right, yeah, there was something there already. This wasn't just some some nobody they brought in but as far as i was concerned i didn't even know there was a second wrestling promotion like back then there was no it wasn't like a loyalty to wf i had no idea about wcw i knew there was somewhere else that people were going because obviously brett had given the wcw and you know you'd heard of the nwo but like they weren't in wf so they were somewhere else i didn't know where um but yeah like going back and watching it some of the people on that they it's just such a shame that they didn't transition over. Like DDP is one of them. They brought him in and just complete waste. On stalking Undertaker's wife, yeah, great. This massive face that he's had in WCW, just bury him with that. Yeah, he's some sort of stalker. That's Vinnie Mac, isn't it? Yeah. Did Did he do anything after that? Like as far like I can honestly only remember him being the stalker of Undertaker's wife, getting back. Well, he to became around. that. He became a motivational coach or something. <laughs> doing that big smile all the time. That's oh yeah, a good thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, he, but like, <laughs> it was nothing. Like he was just, he was a, a nothing player. And then the likes of Booker T came in. Um, Booker T went on to do do very well for himself. But when he first came in, it was kind of meh. Yeah, but you know, like DDP gave up a lot of money to come yeah. back to WWE too. And Booker, yeah, yeah both. He, of them. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, did Booker have one of the AOL Booker, contracts? Booker well? had a big contract. Yeah, Booker. Did, yeah. He would have been. Right. He was champion when they came across. So I assume yeah, he was yeah, on yeah. a decent, uh, decent salary. Well, I, I know DDP gave up that. 
Time Warner AOL contract where he could have sat in his arse and got paid big money. He gave up a bigger contract though, Joe, you are correct. Yeah. And then and then they and, and as you said, Tim, one of the biggest faces in WCW ever, like, and yeah. they could bring him in as a heel and in a fucking shit angle. Now the reveal was cool. It was like, Jeez. Oh, the, the, the reveal was deadly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But then, but then but when you when you took a minute to think about it, you went, why would he be why would DDP do that? Like, that doesn't make any yeah. sense. <laughs> and why has he now gotten pinned by Undertaker's non-wrestling wife? Like, just she's gonna oh. beat him in a match. I know Undertaker did all the damage and whatnot, but like you're still like, ah, really? And I, I wouldn't even have minded him coming in as a heel if he was part of the invasion. Like he wasn't even part of the invasion. It was like the invasion's over. Let's bring in this next WCW guy and we'll make him a heel as well. Just bring him in as a face. Like just let him come in and be what he was. Um but then there's loads of other people from WC. Like, um, I want like if WCW hadn't gone out of business, you'd wonder like the likes of AJ Styles who was signed to them, um, and wasn't picked up by WWE for some insane reason. Too small. Uh, where a lot yeah, of those, small, a lot of those like, cruiserweights didn't get signed up. Yeah, but like some, some of them did. Yeah. Some of them did, and you just think to yourself like, had AJ got picked up there, like what difference would it have made like to the rest of the history of like TNA and New Japan and things like that and we have the AJ Styles that we have now so like I'm glad we didn't because we have this AJ Styles but like what could have been had he had he gone over like that cruiserweight division was stacked yeah I mean that that's that's a good place to start like staying with WCW like I mean when I first obviously I didn't first transition over but but obviously you know, I went kind of more WCW or WWE route once, you know, the whole Michaels and Hitman and kind of this world kind of really kind of prospered. And, and plus, don't forget, they stopped showing it on, on um, ITV then um, at some point, Noel, didn't they? Yep. 95 or 96, maybe. Yep. Um, could be wrong on the year, but um, they, they stopped showing. So you really didn't get to see anything other than in the magazines. Um, and the older you're getting, you're kind of wanting to watch what's on your TV. And I'd still, <clears throat> I'd still happen to get tapes from, you know, from the States, but not a lot, not enough to kind of get emotionally invested in the characters other than what you're seeing, you know, in, in the matches. But um, when, when, like, that's one thing, you know, I suppose we'll, we'll get into the good stuff here for the fans that are listening. Like when Bischoff takes over, I mean, listen, everyone knows that I'm a, I'm a big Bischoff sympathizer in a lot of ways, um, without a shadow of a doubt. I think for the likes of Bischoff to be lumped in with certain other names that I'm not going to call out is, is wrong. You know what I mean? I think he he basically did do the 83 weeks. It was crazy, but he put WWE to the sword. And one of the one of the big things that he did was that Nitro was three hours. But it didn't feel like three hours the way, say, some of the WWE programming does these days because there was so much going on with it and there was so much in-ring action that it just flew by, you know what I mean? And they had such a huge roster. Bringing the likes of the Mexicans and all in like that, I thought was a great idea. Um, bringing, like, the best of the Japanese over was a great idea. And they're, like, I mean, I don't care what anyone says. <laughs> the, the reason that there's a huge cruiserweight division is because of Eric Bischoff, you know, he, he made that happen. And that was his mind that did that. Um, I'm not saying he, he, he put all the matches together, but another great mind that doesn't get enough credit. And people have heard me banging on about him many times in this podcast is Kevin Sullivan. 
I mean, Kevin Sullivan, one of the greatest bookers, you know, in my opinion, um, of all time. The matches that he was able to put together were absolutely phenomenal. I mean, you, you could get like a 20-minute, 30-minute match while the boys, and I didn't even care at this point when Tony Schiavone and Bobby DeBrain would be spieling on about how Lex Luger is going to take down the NWO and all this, because what I was watching in the ring with the likes of Eddie Guerrero on a Rey Mysterio match on a Nitro was like, what in the name of Jesus is this? And yeah, um, a big problem uh, about Kevin Sullivan, like as you said, he absolutely brilliant. But when people hear his name, the first thing that pops into their head is that he booked himself to lose lose his wife to a to a colleague. You know what I mean? And it's yeah. just and that that's yeah. You know what I mean? When when his name gets mentioned, people's like, oh, he's a gobshite. He lost his wife to a a, a fellow wrestler because he booked it. You know, yeah. and it's like Jesus Christ, guys. And one one fucking blip on his resume as a booker, like an interview of art. He done the stuff, which is pretty hokey as well. But to be fair, like, I mean, I, I go back and watch that Dungeon of Doom stuff, and it's, it's quite entertaining, man. Like, I, if, you, if you're a fan of B-horror movies like myself and, and the likes of, you know, Greg and Ted and even Joe and Noel to an extent, like it's good stuff when you go back and watch it you know what i mean it was it was something that's you know it may, might not have aged well for the mature fan but you know what if if you want to take yourself that seriously as a fan it's your loss because i thought it was quite entertaining but uh yeah kevin sullivan was awesome i think um they had a great way of building the big stories because they'd always have to start i mean wwe did as well you know what I mean? But WWE kind of went and followed WCW's suit with that. You know what I mean? Where they'd open the show with the big angle and they'd have bits in between. And then you knew that you were getting a big ending always. Now in WWE, you always knew you were getting a big ending. And in fairness, you would get like the likes of Sean or Brett come out and have cut a good promo and, you know, shit would go down. But don't forget, Nitro started in 1995. Yeah. And uh, Bischoff kind of developed a way of there was a lack of predictability to the show, really. And yes. I, don't, I don't know whether that was yes. kind of planned or whether it was like roster induced at the time. So I wasn't sure. <laughs> it could be that. Yeah. But I also, but I also, I also found with WCW as well. Like, I think, I think until we got into the, the meat of the Monday Night Wars and all that kind of stuff. And um, with WWE, there was kind of a beginning, a middle, and an end, and the show ended. And then when yeah. you got into the attitude there and the Monday Night Wars and all that, you got that non-predictability at the end that you had to tune in next week but I think with WCW they had that shot right off the bow where they'd leave you hanging week after week after week and they yeah. got that from Crockett from the territories as well because with Crockett was yes. doing that Crockett would always leave you hanging with a run in and a beat down at the end that you yeah. had to come back next week and go Jesus did they break Dusty's armor did they, they did they did Animal lose his eye in that bench press competition or whatever it was you know what I mean they'd always leave you hanging that you'd have to go back and go what the hell happened there you know they'd leave you hanging for a week um, and as you said WWE copped onto that pretty quick and they started doing that a lot more often lads hitting the ring and you know, backstage, so if someone gets a beat down from a mystery guy and you were left hanging and all that kind of good stuff. But do you remember, Noel? That's a good way. That's a good way to kind of talk, a good little talking point. Do you remember um, with, with Macho, Sting, and Luger? You know, you didn't know where, and Hogan, you didn't know whether these boys were on the same page. And I went back and actually watched this a couple of years ago. I watched Nitro start to finish week to week, and I was like, fuck your Love Island. Fuck your EastEnders. I'm going back to 1995, and this is my weekly television, and it's happening right now. And um, 
I implore anybody to do that. It's great fun. Just give yourself an hour on the network. Go oh, and, and, and do that. It's absolutely fantastic. You will not be disappointed. And then because the dates are all there, all you need to do then is just look then and you get to watch the, the pay-per-view then unfold following. It's the best thing in the world, lads, if you're a pro wrestling fan. I'm sure lots of people have done it. I know me and a uh, shout out to Colin Jackson, Mr. Corvin. We were doing it and we were literally texting each other at the time going, this is awesome, like as if it was only at the happening like the previous week. Um, but no, it was absolutely phenomenal i mean i remember that build noel if you recall because i know you probably done something similar um that build up where you were like her hogan sting luger you knew sting and luger were on the same page but you never knew with savage and hogan where they're going and they brought that bit of unpredictability from wwe with their relationship into the storyline and this went on for about three months four months and you're like oh shit where's this going you know, and eventually we know where it went. You know, yeah. whether that was planned or not, like you said, no, I don't know. Probably not. But I, I, sometimes I look at it, and you know, yourself with the way things unfolded in there, you would think that Hogan was in, <laughs> Nash was in, and Razor was in. But whether the rest were told what was about to unfold, I wasn't too sure. And they just rolled with it because they were professionals, they knew what they had to do. Um, yeah. Sometimes you look at it and you think, was a lot of it even called in the ring going, lads, we did have this plan, but actually this is what's going to happen now. And you see Luger and Sting in the ring going, oh shit, <laughs> really? You know, and it, it was just, you know, you look at some of that stuff when you go back and look at it now, and it's really like... We should, said, it's just really a cool. maybe, maybe we should spend a couple of minutes talking about Sting, to be fair, because like you cannot talk about those of you without Sting. I mean, you know, you hear Hogan, you hear all these names, but... Sting is WCW. I mean, in terms of talk about Sting being, you know, he loves his money and all that kind of stuff. But good Lord, as much as he loves his money, is that man loyal? You know, like, because you know, when I think of WCW, it, it, Sting is always number one yeah, in, my, in my mind. Like, it's, it's, uh, it's never a contest. I know um, a lot of people think of Ric Flair when they think of WCW as well. But uh, for me, it's definitely staying. And, uh, they're the two, though, Joe. They're the two, yeah. Oh, yeah, they're the two the two top guys that you think of. And uh, just on your point there about uh, staying loving money, I don't know. Like, he was at TNA a long time when WWE were throwing money at him. No, but you know, what I mean is he's, he's a great businessman. Like, and, and like he's now, like he, he obviously has a lot of, he's a good business brain, but that, that's what I meant by that. Nothing yeah, because like, yeah, he, was, he was a long time at TNA and wouldn't, and, wouldn't go to WWE. He eventually did, but uh, it, it took a long time. And then I'd say he regretted when he did do it. Yeah, I wish he did as well, as well almost. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I feel bad for him. I'd say he regretted the on-screen stuff, but I'm sure the check was handsome. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know it's the on-screen stuff I was talking about. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I suppose we should touch on, let, let's touch on some of the stuff that sticks out to us from WCW. So, in in Hit Me Up Today, said we were going to do a WCW episode and have a look at this and stuff like that. And I went back and I said, there's, there's three things, obviously, I have to look at that always sticks out for me for WCW. Um, obviously, Hogan's heel turn, which is just synonymous with the business. Bash at the Beach in 96. I mean, know? we'll always remember that pay-per-view, won't we? Yeah, but I also I also went back and, and some things that are sometimes maybe often forgotten by some fans. Aaron Anderson's promo in the ring about giving up his spot to Mr. Perfect. Um, oh. 
what an absolute promo right from the depths of that man's heart out onto the screen. And of course, me and Jane being absolutely amazing and a flare in the background, welling up like only Flair can. And then obviously the follow on from that, obviously Flair's promo on Bischoff, where he lets fly and he says, you know, fire me. I'm already fired. And he's just having a breakdown in the ring, throwing shoes at him, all sorts of stuff going on. <laughs> and, and they always stick out to me. The other thing I obviously have to mention as well is obviously Ron Simmons becoming world champion, the first black world champion. Absolutely yeah. amazing in WCW at the time. Um, Very underrated uh, career Ron Simmons had as a as a singles guy. I mean, obviously in the APA, yeah. he gets his due, but my God, go back and watch Ron Simmons back in the '93 era. Yeah. Watch, watch that crowd reaction. He won the title too. Yeah, Christ, they went bananas for him. It was now, people, amazing. People call those crowds like predominantly, maybe a little bit. You know, we won't use the word, but. Mm. Down south, probably weren't the biggest fans of, of kind of um, African Americans stuff like that, but not down there in the wrestling world. <laughs> no, they they cheered for him like you know. He oh, was, they went crazy for him. Yeah. If like if you watch that, it gives you goosebumps even today to watch that crowd reaction. They went absolutely. Even the insane. redneck racists down there with the hoods on them were going, yeah. He's our guy. He's our guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now we have a license to bring the real heel heat. This is what their thinking was at the time. Or so, you know, <laughs> crazy stuff. You know what I mean? No. Just even even the even the dumbest even the dumbest one of those boys yeah. was like, I ain't fucking with Ron Simmons. <laughs> no. no. I'm going to cheer that guy. <laughs> Absolutely. Um. Ian, what sticks out to you as well? I mean, when we talk WCW, I mean, we could spend hours here talking about WCW. What are, what are the things, when you mention WCW, the thoughts that go back there, what do you think of? I mean, like the first big one for me, the first big, 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 big one for me was obviously when Hogan signed and he was getting paraded, you know, through Disneyland. Um, you know, it was huge. It was monumental. It was, the, it was basically the red and yellow going down south and... Um, going to the competition and I'm sure Vince felt it too um, you know even if Vince thought, like Vince always kind of gave wrestlers a sell by date didn't he um, Macho Man Casey yeah I was going to say look what he did with Savage yeah I mean on commentary when he was raring to go um, well I think in that case Hogan told him he was done Hogan was like I'm gone to Hollywood I don't want to oh, wrestle yeah, anymore no, no, so but I think... at the same time even though Vince was still wanted to go with the kind of with the new generation hence why he coined it that he wanted to go with the kind of with the Brett um, route because it was just more dependable he knew he could build a show around someone that was going to show up every week but you're right you're right Ted I think it was a, a bit of both there um, he certainly did he certainly did go to Hollywood didn't he oh <laughs> with a different kind of Hollywood <laughs> absolutely so that, that that stood out in my mind um, the first time we got to see Flair and Hogan, obviously on a pay per view at Bash of the Beach '94, I believe, yeah, '94. Yeah, spot on. Was that was a uh, that was a huge one for me getting to see that. I was like, holy shit, that's a tape I bought, um, that I didn't get to see till about three months after it happened. But like I say, it was <laughs> this is a constant theme in my life. <laughs> um, I think. Um, what stands out, I suppose, this is early stuff I'm talking about. I mean, for me, the the Flair Steamboat matches stand out um, and the Flair Sting matches stand out. I mean, what Flair done to help Sting along in his career is just absolutely unbelievable. 
um, because Sting was like we look at Warrior and Sting, and you know one was was obviously just a pure charisma and able to kind of go off on a tangent, whereas Sting was able to commit. And the other one was Sting, yeah. Yeah, and then Sting went off and built it, but he built it and learned his craft and, and got in the ring with, 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 with good hands and learned it slowly but surely. And even when he wasn't quite ready yet, Flair was kind of like, no, stick by him, you know what I mean? People think of Ric Flair as this guy who's a May Fainer. For all of you uh, international listeners, you know, a me, 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 uh, non-team player. Whereas I think it, it shows you, it's, Flair gave that guy absolutely everything. He made Sting look like the beast that he was, you know what I mean? Um, so Sting, uh, Hogan signing there. I mean, Goldberg, it was their own. Not the biggest fan of Goldberg, um, but look, his influence was just... Yeah, they, they, they built him. Perfectly. Oh, it was perfectly. amazing. It was amazing how they built him. Um the belt, I know no one was expecting this. That big gold, I absolutely idolize. It's my favorite title um, ever in, in any wrestling promotion. In fact, most of WCW's belts are actually my favorite belts in, in general. Um, I love the Winged Eagle as well, the original one, of course. I, of course, I love WWE ones too. I love the WWE tag ones. But I just thought WCW belts, I don't know, there was something special about them. I know you're, I know you, uh, you, you're with me on that, Noel. Um, yeah, I mean, I, th- that's it. You know what I mean? It, it, I'm sure there's more, but like that's what I think. And I, I love the kind of grittiness of it. Like their sets. There we go. That's another one. Their sets. I fucking everyone knows I'm an art person. I actually, I actually have that written down. I have a couple of things like that. No, you, you take, you take this one. Yeah. Then because- oh, no, the, the, look, the, the sets were fantastic. Like that's, you know, and it's something that WWE has run away from. An AEW are kind of bringing it back now. They. Yeah. They have their big pay-per-views. They have they tend to have these different sets, whereas WWE just changed the color on the fucking screen. Yeah, like if you're <laughs> at the beach and they have the whole beach set up. Like yeah, yeah. Halloween, Halloween Havoc is probably the, one of the most oh, iconic ones. You know what I mean? Where they actually the, had a Halloween Havoc, uh, Halloween Havoc T-shirt up there that I was going to wear before the show, <laughs> and then I realized I've uh, outgrown it in a year. Yeah. <laughs> but you know they had like, lockdowns a some bitch. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't like you know they 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 had all these mad entrances and. Sure, I remember Ed Savage and DDP throwing each other into the two and stuff. Bring Stampede. Like, Bring Stampede. Nineteen ninety-six. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? The, the, the sets was, was one I was gonna that I had written down, and uh, the other one I had written down was some of their match types, like the War Games, for example, was one. Um, what was that crazy one they had? World War Logan Three, ring? where they had the three rings. Which? Sorry. World War Three, where they had the three rings. It was basically a ninety-man fucking Royal Rumble. <laughs> The roster was so that good. was insane. That one was there. Uh, <laughs> that was a bit much for me. The whole <laughs> arena, the whole floor of the arena was basically three rings. And what was that lunatic one they had with Hogan? It was a huge big cage. He just got up through the levels. Oh, it was the three levels of uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. I can't remember what they called that. Yeah, that was insane was, as well. That, that, that came a bit later, in fairness. That was kind of when Russo came in. Um, the, and then they had that, they had that other one that, um. That was in that uh, the cages got smaller as they went up as well. Yeah, that's the one we're talking about. That was the one. Oh, no, where no, I'm talking, about, I'm talking about the, that that insane one where Hogan had to go up levels and he, he was fighting yeah. different guys on each level. Like yeah. no, I don't know. Like a video game. Yeah. It was like a video yeah. game. You yeah. fought this guy and then you went up to the next guy and then up to the yeah, next. Yeah, it was it was just insanity. I think that yeah. was based on the. Uh, I think that was based on a movie, wasn't it? Game of Death. 
um, from Bruce Lee, where it was, oh, was it? called Tower of Death, where he had yeah. to fight a different yeah. opponent. Yeah, that's that's you know, the, like some of those match types were utter lunacy. The other one, you know what was the other one? The other one was Terror. Uh, Judy terror Bagwell on a pole. Like that, terror, terror. That's terror, the one. Terror or something like that, yeah. Yeah. Judy Bagwell that's on a pole. There's a mental one, lads. <laughs> <laughs> a human on a pole. Yeah, great. Yeah. Oh, well, that's except, all. She was, except she was on a forklift. A forklift, like, yeah, because. That was the one where Russo came out and he'd all the hockey pads on him and everything yeah. or something like that. It was crazy. So some of them were terrible, but yeah, like yeah. the 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 war games and stuff. Yeah. Like, just some it was it was weird. On, it was weird in those matches as well because when they realised they couldn't be stretching cages out anymore because they were actually giving up ticket sales, they started stacking cages on top of each other and going up. Yeah, you know. So it was just it was madness. But I always remember looking at some of those tower ones and you'd look at say Booker T or Scott Steiner might be in them or something like that. And you'd know. That you know by their look on their face to go, this is fucking hokey. What are we doing here? You know what I mean? In the match, you can see it. If you go back and look at those matches, you can see it in their faces going, This is the last place they want to be. The, the only thing I can imagine there is imagine sitting front like you've bought front row tickets, right? And then you're at this show. So you can see the first ring fine. Then the second one you're like yeah, yeah. I can't like I can kind of see the bottom of the ring. I can't really see anybody up there. Is yeah. there like I need to watch that on a screen? And then the third one, you're definitely not going to see anyone. Yeah. And if you're in the cheap seats, eventually when they get to the top, you're like, great, eye level stuff. Here we go. Yeah, yeah but like you say that, can you, can you imagine buying a front row ticket? And the next thing is you're looking at a screen watching these guys fighting in the back of a lorry. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ray Mysterio getting spear chucked through a, through a van. <laughs> no, that, that was something else that. that was. Yeah, with Kevin Nash and the boys, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but it was always like, it was just, I always found with those matches, it was just kind of, like, as Ian said, you can go back and look at them on a Saturday afternoon or something, and they're, just, they're still kind of fun to watch. But you always, if you go and you look at Russo as well, and you focus on Russo, it's like you tore down the fourth wall or something. It's like you created something so new that it was unbelievable. This was his Tesla, and everyone was going, this is fucking terrible. What are you doing? <laughs> you know what I mean? But it was just crazy. Like, you know. One of the um, big things though, definitely is the sets. But I mean, the matches is what stands out. I mean, for me, one of the best matches I'd ever seen, and it was actually, this was where I got to see it pretty much in close proximity, because I can't remember how I got my hands on it, but I'd seen it pretty recent, and it was the Hollywood, or sorry, the Halloween Havoc 97 match with Rey Mysterio and uh, Eddie Guerrero. Unbelievable. And, like, to this day, I still think that's probably one of the best matches I've ever Without seen. Uh, oh, yeah. Holy shit. Unbelievable. Who, who was the jabroni that said Eddie Guerrero was overrated recently? Uh, we had a guy on Twitter who said he was a B-plus player and uh, he got shut down pretty quick. Yeah, Mick Foley even jumped on that and shut him down as well. Like, just was like, nope. A-plus a, a, a in the the, ring. A-plus everything. This was a lad who was... Um, Kenny Omega. No he, was, he, was, he was looking for a bit of attention, let's say. <laughs> oh, yeah, I think, you know, sometimes people come out with stuff like that and you know that they're only sitting there being like, can't wait to get all my replies in here. It doesn't matter what, what the reply is. Yeah. I suppose These are the kind of people that if you're not a violent man, you'd love to like do damage to them even. You know what I mean? No, I, I, I love these type of people because these are the type of people that makes me fall more in love with wrestling and actually educate them. So it's all good. <laughs> we need these people around because if we all just sat around and said everything's brilliant, it'd be quite boring. <laughs> No, but there's some things are fact in life, yeah. and this match is actually proven to probably, be one of the greatest matches of all time. Yeah, I, think... pro- <coughs> I was, Go I was just gonna, I was just gonna bring up a couple of others. Obviously, Medusa dropping the belt into the bin. Uh, ah, that's place. Yeah. We always have to say that, and obviously, the outsiders coming in and attacking Bischoff um, was kind of iconic as well. But um, 
the one that I wanted to touch on that goes back to 1989 was Terry Funk coming in and pile driving Ric Flair through the table that set yes. off that absolute feud in 1989 that was unbelievable yes. because people of course have an opinion of Terry Funk and stuff like that but they need to go back and look at the bounce of that feud it was incredible holy shit yeah. man how good was he on the mic in the ring and by the way if anyone wants to see JR in his prime you know all the people that want to give out about JR watch him commentate on that when JR had that lovely comb over listen to him commentate <laughs> yeah huh? When JR yeah, had that over, lovely yeah. over. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> he's fucking. Uh, I'd say he was still sipping cocktails back then, but good lord, could he him, him, Crockett, and Shivani all had the same oh. hairstyle at the time. Unbelievable! It was a great hairstyle, man, for the yeah. time. Tell me, if I had it, I'd fucking rock Absolutely. it. <laughs> then the other, the other couple of ones I wanted to mention. Obviously, the unmask and Dame Malenko when he unmasked, which I thought yeah. was monumental the conspiracy in fact actually that whole i mean this this is when i was watching nitro week to week so i was following this and jericho immediately became one of my favorites and i'm gonna be a little bit biased here because obviously everyone knows that i'm a fan of the black and pink um but true waiting on him to show up this is when i got to have a relationship with all these other guys and kind of see them on a week-to-week basis. And Jericho was the first one, along with Guerrero, that, um, because I knew Guerrero from the game. Do you remember WCW versus the world? It was on the, uh, I think it was on, what was it called? That was the SNES, I think, wasn't it? Nintendo 64, I think it was. Yeah, um, that sounds real right, Jeff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Guerrero was on it, and I was like, ooh. And I was reading a lot about him in Power Slam and how good he was. I remember when I first got to see him, I was like, Roy, he's an instant favorite because I know who he is. Benoit, I'd heard of because I heard he was the carbon copy of Dynamite Kid. So immediately gravitated towards him. But Jericho, I hadn't heard a lot about. I'd seen pictures of him, but I hadn't heard a lot about him. When I heard him getting introduced from Calgary, Alberta, Canada, and coming out, throwing his little tantrums and all, but with the cocky walk, I was like, boom, that guy, that is the guy. I mean, I absolutely loved him. And that whole story with him and Dean Malenko, um, that was the uh, that was the first order from um, from Finley Martin, actually, that I bought on Censored in 1998. Um, on that match, I think, on that uh, the video, I think we had a triple threat with DDP, Raven, and Chris Benoit. It was in Alabama. Birmingham, Alabama. There we go. I even remember the fucking town. I don't know how I remember that. I can't remember yesterday and I remember this. They absolutely threw each other through the set and everything. They bet the absolute piss out of each other. Um, it was Malenko and Jericho. Jericho beat Malenko. And me and Gene rocks up and goes, Dean, what's going on with you? You know what I mean? He was giving it to him. Going like, what the hell are you doing? You, you know, losing. And he just goes, I'm going home. And he legged it and he goes, what do you mean you're going home? <laughs> I was like, me and Gene, calm down. He lost the match, but he wasn't to be seen. And of course, Jericho was gloating that he sent off fucking, he sent off Malenko. And the build up to the, that Slamboree pay-per-view that, later that year, which Ted has watched. Yeah, um, oh yeah. That was, that was it. Like Jericho throughout that period was just amazing. And that's, he played that guy that you wanted to get his, see, get his teeth knocked out so badly that, 
And even as a young kid, I was like, no, I don't want to see him get his teeth knocked out. I want this guy to win. Fuck that older guy. <laughs> but uh, man, that unmasking was one of the best things I've ever seen. And then Jericho and the follow makes going up to the White House, telling them that it's conspiracy theory. Yeah. <laughs> thrown out of the White House. Awesome. Awesome. I, th- I think like touching on that, that, that's where, like this is where WCW started winning the crowd. You know, like WWF at the time, you know, you had your main event and everything was focused main event, main event, main event. And although WCW did it and they'd constantly talk about the main event, the middle of their card, like that cruiserweight division, there was a story there. So it kept you interested. So even if the commentators were waffling on about what uh, was going to happen in the main event, you were interested. You were like, what's going to happen with Jericho? What's Jericho going to do this week? What's going to happen with Malenko? Uh, What's Rey Mysterio up to? And all of those feuds kind of had something going. And then eventually when the WF went into the attitude era, that started happening there as well, which is when they started to take over. But I think that's and like that's where W like that's where WCW was strongest because their their mid card was just so good and they let storylines. Now I don't know if they, you know, decided they were gonna let those storylines go or if, you know, things were just such a shit show backstage that the boys were just like, ah, let's just tell the story ourselves and go for it. But whatever it was worked out perfectly for them and gave them that big 84 week, like week streak. The NWA, NWO was great, but I don't think the NWO alone was going to carry them. For no, that. The whole, you know, you needed something to keep you. Yeah, you needed something to keep you entertained in that. Like, you know, three hours is a long time to sit down and watch something, especially back then as well. You needed something in the middle to keep you there, and you couldn't just be like, "Don't worry, in two and a half hours we're going to have Hulk Hogan versus." Uh, sting and you're like yeah but that's two and a half hours away man like I'm not sitting here for two and a half hours for that what's gonna, what's gonna keep me here it. for this bit like I'm glad you said that actually and just a quick sideway with those involved in WCW I thought um, I thought that absolute chance or Nash on, uh, on on Stone Cold's podcast I mean did he ever make a show of himself on that basically saying he left because you know he was sick of the likes of Brett not willing to do what was best for business when it should have been him and Taker. He should have dropped the belt to him. Even though when you go back to the timeline and they were building up Sean and Brett at WrestleMania, yet Nash thought he should be the guy. And then uh, not doing what was best for business, the curtain call, which was actually hilarious. And um, they were basically saying, he, he was. He also said that they, they uh, when he arrived into WWE first, uh, Hogan was on top which is a lie because this was 1993 and they were at the garden and they'd done a 180 gate. But when he was there, they'd done a 380,000 gate and they were like, well, fact check, son. Hogan wasn't on top in 1993. In fact, he wasn't even there. Um, and then this is the guy who's talking about best for business that decided that they should take the mask off Ray Mysterio, the finger poke at doom. He should be the one to beat Goldberg. When he got the book, look exactly what happened. So Kevin Nash is an absolute abomination to the wrestling business other than the fact that he was a third division basketball player and that's about it it's fuck a, you Kevin Nash how's it's a, that it's a combination at the time of too much wine and selective oh. memory you know that's what the other fella was good in fairness to him Scott Hall talks a lot of shit but at least he could go in the ring and he, he was good Kevin Nash fuck you Joe I also had a look today one that sticks out for you um, that I went back and had a look at um, the breaking up of the Steiner brothers and we get the incarnation of oh. big, big Papa Pump um, going into the NWO. And straight away, I thought, this lends itself straight into that TNA stuff that we spoke about. Yo, it's only the man that can talk about this. <laughs> okay. 
you know, it was it was one of the things we were talking about iconic moments for uh, WCW. You know, you you think of lads just being handed a mic and being allowed to say what the hell they wanted. You know, you think of Scott Steiner just being utterly insane and calling out half the fucking people out the back, telling them he'd beat the piss out of them. Like, and no one, no one tried to stop him. <laughs> they were too afraid. But, you? <laughs> and uh, yeah, exactly. And then yeah, I remember was it um, Dustin Rhodes came out and. and Buried his gimmick. Do you remember that? He, I think he was seven or something. He was going. Yeah, seven. Yeah. Yeah, came out and his first promo buries the gimmick. Like, you know, yeah, like, that was crazy. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's there's things that there's loads of other examples. Didn't Vince Russo come out and call out people to call people out? Like there was just lunacy on the mic. But like, you know, sorry, going back to Scott Steiner, like the the man was just like as I said, he was an athletic freak. Anyway, I remember I was talking about him at the when uh, we did the tag team one, our Mount Rushmore tag team, and just what an athletic freak he was, and what a big man he was. And then, as you said, pisses off for a while and comes back. He's just absolutely ginormous. Looks completely different. Uh, has the, the chain mail and the, the bleached goatee and the sunglasses and uh, and ju- just being an absolute fucking psychopath. And uh, absolutely love Now, I loved the Steiners as a team. Um, I fell in love with Scott Steiner as well. Like, stay, I should say, stayed in love with Scott Steiner <laughs> when they broke up. Um, it's a pity that Rick kind of disappeared because he was a lot better than I think he was given credit for. Um, like he, he, he I, I suppose it, I, I suppose a lot of it probably had to do with his physique. He didn't have that big athletic physique. He was just a little, uh, well, not little. He was a stockier sort of build. He was a monster, like, but oh yeah, uh, yeah. But he was a stockier sort of build. Comparison, little, yeah. Yeah, he he didn't have a bodybuilder physique. He, like he was just this absolute machine. He just looked like this big lump of muscle, and, uh, and 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 he. I don't think he had the mic skills either. Really, certainly didn't have Scots anyway. But um, and, uh, but it was a pity that he just kind of got left by the wayside. And That's great at mathematics as well. Yeah. But uh, I'm telling you, man, if you if you if you got to calculate those numbers, I don't. It but, does uh, add up. It, it's unfortunate it, it that that's all that he's never going to be. So it make, it's yeah, it's the, the only thing you'll be remembered so for now, isn't it? You know, like when you talk, when you think Scott Steiner, the first thing that comes to your head is bats. That's the first thing for anything for Scott Steiner, and it's unfortunate because his body of work is actually very good. Well, it's like I uh, cannot think of anything other than like Sid you got this percentage to beat me. Well, you see, there's three people. <laughs> It's like uh, it's like Sid Vicious, you know what I mean? It's like if you had half the brain that if I had half the brain that you did, <laughs> and the two, but uh, you know what? I actually feel bad slagging Kevin Nash there because I don't mean that at all. I love Kevin Nash. <laughs> look, Ian, like, look, he has he has his drawbacks, but he, he had a huge impact on it. Oh no! Look, uh, in fairness, I was trying to cut a promo there, and I was like, I can't cut a promo, with Kevin Nash. I like him too much, actually. He's, he's, he's actually yeah, he's actually a really he comes across like a really nice guy too. Uh, he is. He's a, he's a good guy. In fairness to him, he's yeah. uh, he's just one of those guys as well. It's the same with Scott Hall. I've cut promos and Scott Hall in the past, but I mean, the two of them are so influential to, to WCW. But I just thought that was brilliant. And Sid, we're live, pal. You know, pearls. It just... What about what about the the, the infamous Booker T one like on Hulk Hulk Hogan? Oh, Jesus <laughs> for you, such a yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. Then, and you and straight away Booker T is like a oh, ball. <laughs> That's my favorite part of it is him realizing that he's just said it and he's just like oh. 
Anyone ever? I know it's. I know Sherry's it's trying note. not. Sherry's trying not to break her bollocks half and behind. <laughs> I know it's a side note, but did you ever see the the one with uh, me and Gene when he's trying to interview Rick Rude and the SummerSlam? Sign falls down. He's like, "You bastard!" <laughs> it's a fright, and you see Rick Rude staying in character, but Rick Rude starts going. It's <laughs> like you broke me and Gene. How can you? That's not even possible. You bastard! <laughs> yeah, just speaking of um, uh, Rick Rude there, and we we're talking about iconic moments. Another WCW iconic character. Yeah, but um, it uh, just sorry, it just reminded me there about iconic moments. When he was on Raw and Nitro at the same time, yes, and Lex Luger as well, you know that that's another thing WCW did, like where they they decided to go live when WWE was recorded, and then you had these guys that appeared on the two shows at the same time, like at the same night. Bischoff was an animal, wasn't he? He did not care. I mean, and the thing about it is, Vince cries about it and cries about it, but this is the same stuff Vince done to people. So Bischoff was like that better looking younger version the guy that would do, like little kendall head on him yeah. and he'd just sit there and go i know you love me uncle Vinny." i mean there's an iconic moment right there the slamboree where he actually challenged him to a fight and was like <laughs> i will fight you on my own pay-per-view yeah. and Vinny mac no showed and i mean the funny thing about it is bishop probably would have kicked the living shit out of him because he was a legitimate fighter yeah. um, the thing is that that um Bischoff was smart there because so smart. He, he was in a win-win situation because Vince yeah. couldn't show up. Because if Vince if Vince shows up, right, one, he's now on WCW, massive ratings boost to WCW, and then two, if you don't show up, you're a coward. Yeah, you know, and then then I get to rip on you for not showing up. It was genius. It was genius. I mean, he literally pulled out all the stops. I mean, Bischoff is the best thing to ever happen to WCW. To be fair. Yeah. Um, it's unfortunate think, that he made the mistake to not, you know, capitalize when DX showed up when he was like, close the door, don't let them in because he should have let them in. Oh, yeah, they I, I let them in. That's it. The get the ratings in. Let's go. Come on. I think you probably would have got some of the southern boys, though, probably throw down. You know what I mean? You wouldn't have got the likes of the Nashes and all that. I think that's where the problem lay because, like, you know, there could be lawsuits and everything because you would have got the likes of the DDPs and the Goldbergs and the guys that, you know, even the, the Steiners. Yeah, yeah, Goldberg yeah, would have done that. You know. yeah. It would have yeah. been it would have been a proper shield. It's like when the Dudleys hit, you know, come out of the locker room with this fan trouble or something like that, and they absolutely yeah. beat the. Piss it would have, it would have been. That. It would have been that, and then you then you probably would have had the likes of the Hitman gathering guys going. Get fucking that guy. Yeah, yeah but would it, like, like would Triple H and stuff have gone in? You know, that's the real question. Like, they have to have known that. They, they have to know, like, there's only five of them, and there's a whole WCW locker room in here. Are we going to actually go in? Uh, they either have to go in or reverse up, and again, then Bischoff would would have won. I hope there was cocaine interaction on that tank as well. Well, They would have. They <laughs> would. They would have had to go in, Ted, because DX would have carried no credibility at all. Exactly. That's my point. But yeah. then they go in, and then what are they going to do when they get in there? They're not going to well, start a fight. No, they'd You're have not to throw down. They'd have to throw down, and they'd yeah. have to. They'd have to go down fighting to keep their credibility. Yeah, but then, then when they lose, then WCW are just going to go. We won. This is all you got. Yeah, like no, you know, I, I hear. I, I think Bischoff made a mistake not to just go. Like I understand, like logistically lawsuits and things like that. But I, Bischoff, a lot of television as well. Like Bischoff should have just gone, get them in, and like fucking we're gonna win. Actually, break Triple H's neck on live television, which yeah. probably would have happened. <laughs> like, and Walton, yeah. fucking, I'm out of here. See you. <laughs> I'm gone. <laughs> Rightly so. Yeah. yeah. 
you know, it would have been, you know, and what like what would I know Billy Gunn and and now Road Dog probably would have been able to handle themselves, but like not against these boys because of the sheer numbers as well. So I think Bishop made the right decision there, but I do hear what you're saying, Ted. Like, I mean, I would have loved to see what unfolded. Um, another thing I think that stands out is um, the whole kind of uh, the flare sting dynamic with flare betraying sting as well. Like, Noel, this is your number here. I lived this as a kid in Jim Crockett. I've seen it over and over and over again. It's constant. And if anyone was going to convince me that Sting was a horseman, it was never going to be tolerated. Um, and, you know, I was never a huge fan of Ole Anderson either, you know what I mean? But, oh, me neither. Jesus, that time when they fired him and they absolutely berated him and, and Sting is standing there and I'm going... Kid, just get out of there. Just get out of there. That's not where you need to be right now. And, <laughs> and not if only Anderson is telling you you don't need to be there. Oh, it was just unbelievable. But like, I mean, Flair, if you think about Flair's thing, and you touched on it earlier in terms of how intertwined their career was and how Flair brought him along and was great to him and stuff like that, it always went back there again, didn't it? And it always yeah. set that sort of scene. There was always, I suppose with Flair... The last well, Nitro ever, even. You know yeah. what I mean? It's amazing to think. Hmm. But even, even with Flair in there, um, he always had a comfort feeling. He was always kind of, I wonder what's the paranoia about who he was working with and stuff like that. And like there was obviously a safe sense of feeling there that if you were working with Sting, he's a consummate professional. He's not going to go into business for himself. He hadn't got a point to prove in terms of, you know, if there was haphazard booking in there and crazy stuff going on. And I mean, you know, Flair had to be for the office as much as anyone, as we know to this day, you know. So it was kind of like Jim yeah. Heard. <laughs> yeah, so he wanted to change his name. Yeah, yeah. It's insane. She <laughs> got him to cut his hair for Christ's sake. What did he look like when he cut his hair? It was crazy, like, you know. But I just, you know, there were so many feuds there with him and getting tossed out of the horsemen back into the horsemen. You know, it let it die down, Flair to go off, and the boys go off on another tantrum, and then it will come back to Sting again because Sting was nearly kind of like their comfort blanket or their comfort pillow, really, you know. Um, and he did was always there, it was always amazing. Go ahead, Joe. No, go on. No, sorry, I just did it not get a bit kind of big show heel turn, kind of. Just, yeah, I, I kind of felt the same. Did yeah, it made Sting really, look a bit of an idiot, didn't it? Yeah, Every time, amazing, oh, trust yeah. Ric Flair, yeah, I'll trust Ric Flair. <laughs> yeah. get, and get kicked out of me by Ric Flair. Well, Sting, Sting again probably felt he was in the same position as well, if you think about it. Because, yeah. like, with everything that was going on with Hogan and with the NWO and all that kind of stuff, you know, these guys were kind of the territory guys on the peripheral of that going, well, we're the horsemen. What's this NWO? Yeah, we're the horsemen. You know what I mean? And, and, and it sort of, there was obviously a bond there that came up from Crockett and the territories between them um, that, that lived on right till the end, as Ian said that last night. Um, mm. and, and I think that's what it was I, I, I think with Flair you know he had so much stuff go on in there that was you know bad for business if you like and unworkable and stuff like that and all and I think just that sense was you know like if you put me with Sting I have that comfort feeling that I'm working with a guy here that I've worked for, for years it obviously was money all the time and I know I know Ted you're touching on the fact that like you know, it got a bit old at times, but I think I think most times it happened. I was in it with the way that they sold it. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, no, they did. They it did it very well. It wasn't every week, though. You see, that's, yeah, they done their television in the way that yeah. they dragged it out. Yeah, no, they did it very well. It was just yeah. you know sometimes maybe it should have been Sting getting the upper hand on Flair before the the turn. You know, like it was always 
it was always Sting that was the idiot, you know. Yeah. I'll trust Ric Flair, I'll trust Ric Flair. And for the for a few weeks that worked, and then Ric Flair would turn on him. Yeah, and but you see, just like, Sting why do you keep trusting Ric Flair? Why do you keep trusting that man? Sting always got the big shine in the pay-per-view, though, you know what I mean? Yeah, he did eventually, but, you know, um, although it works out for you at the pay-per-view, like, and I know, as you're watching it along, you're not thinking, Sting's an idiot. But, like, when you look back retrospectively, you're like, what an idiot. Like, in storyline-wise, what an idiot this Sting guy is. He just keeps falling for the same stupid trick over and over. That's the same with the the Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles, like, every single episode, like, they were getting their ass kicked by Shredder, blah, 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 blah. And you're like, can these lads even fight? And then... (laughs) Then like, and they win. The yeah, end, they got the triumph. You know what I mean? It's it's just it's 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 age old storytelling of good guy versus bad guy, and the bad guy is always the genius. I mean, it's like Mega Mind, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> you know I mean? Well, I suppose I suppose what you did was you held on to the fact that maybe one day Sting would be that bona fide. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? That eventually it would happen when yeah. he'd be in there, cement himself in there, and he'd be that guy because. You know, I lived through the Windhams and the Lugers and all these guys getting chucked out yeah. there. The, the Paul Romas to the Chris Benoit's. The, you know what I mean? Like, it just, it's so many of that stuff, you know, and yet it always went back there again. I forgot yeah. to touch on earlier as well, John, when you brought up the Rick Real thing. I remember seeing Rick Real on WCW and being so irate and saying, no, he's our guy. Stop this. You know what I mean? What's he doing over there? You know what I mean? And that kind of thing. So, yeah, he always got emotionally involved on those things where they that switch where he's appearing on TV on both sides and you're going, and then you sort of like later in the years, you were thinking, go, God, did he get a paycheck from both of them? That was pretty cool, I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> you know? A good day for Rick Rude. Yeah. Another one that stands out to me, which I mean, it's probably the biggest nitro of all time is Goldberg and Hogan in Atlanta. Yeah. Just Goldberg in general, I think is. So... Goldberg and Hogan though, when, when he first won the title, I mean, good Lord. I mean, I, I read something very, very interesting today on, um, if anyone follows a uh, great page on, on Facebook, I'm willing to give a plug out for this because I probably want to try and get some of the guys on our shows up at some point, uh, Wrestling Glory Days. They were talking about Hogan, you know, this you know this whole thing that Hogan didn't put this guy over, Hogan did this and Hogan did that. If you actually look at it, out of all the big guys, when you go through history, Hogan actually put more over than anyone else. <laughs> he, he actually did, you know, Um he did it with Warrior. He did it with uh, who else was it? Oh, there was there was loads anyway. Oh yeah, he tapped out to Luger, in, you know, in, in WCW. Um, when Hogan knew the business made sense, he always done it. Where it was actually the likes of Bret and Michaels that put less people over than fucking Hogan. <laughs> when, the, when the check made sense. Yeah, when the check made sense. Yeah. But but this is one now. I mean, I remember watching this. I mean. It should have been done on a pay-per-view. Personally, yeah. it should have been. We all know that now. However, I remember watching this as a kid going, what the actual fuck is going on? And I remember it was actually one of those Nitros where they didn't even have that beautiful um, Nitro logo in the ring. It was the blue mat that they had. Yeah. It looked like the biggest arena I'd ever seen in my entire life at the time. I was like, wow, this is huge. And they were building it all show. And this is the one time where I got proper emotional invested where I didn't even care what was going on in the build-up. I was like, just get me to the get me to the match. And I was like, what the hell? What the hell? And Bobby the Brain Heenan's commentary. Oh my God. Noel, you'll definitely want to take this because we talked about this before. 
he just he gets Hogan up for the jackhammer and Bobby turns around and goes, Your career's on the line. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Just there going, oh my god. It was just sensational even to this day, you know what I mean? And it was it's there. one of the biggest moments in wrestling history, to be fair. I mean, that yeah. was that was that was what made Goldberg. You yeah. know what I mean? But even even when you go back and look at it today, for Goldberg to hoist him up and have him in that move, this is Hogan, who was a ginormous man, you know what I mean? And he has him up there. And to hit that jackhammer the way he does, which is an outstanding move in terms of power power and everything. And then that coupled with Bobby's commentary and stuff like that, it was pinnacle stuff, really, when you think about it. Like, just really was. was. Do you remember, like, what I loved about WCW was we always got those those, um, cola... Cole is thrown in the ring and yeah, all, you yeah. know what I mean? It was like, there was none of this messing around with security. Yeah. Like, it wasn't bad stuff. It was popcorn and sodas. Like, I mean, it was real fucking heat. The wrong type of heat, though, if you ask uh, certain people, you know? Throwing stuff yeah. in the ring, wrong type of heat, lads. You can't yeah, get yeah, like yeah. that. I'm That's sure bad, Meltzer, for, you. bad sure for business. Meltzer, yeah, I'm sure Meltzer jizzed in his pants when he was watching it at the time, the little... <laughs> but, um, you know, this was, this was just incredible stuff. Like, I mean, you know... You know, these are the fans that are still out there that one of the companies can still get to. Do you know what I mean? And this is how you build. I mean, it's it's like I said earlier on, and, and it's like we were even talking about how you how you build up guys and how you build up matches and stuff. Like the the, the, the formula is there. So stick to it. Stop like stop making it complicated. You know what I mean? You can of course you can jazz it up and you can put all the spices and all in it, but at the end of the day, a chicken stir fry is still a chicken stir fry at the end of the day, no matter what you put in it. You still have to go from A to B to C to put it on the plate. And it's the same with pro wrestling, in my opinion. It's, it's Pro wrestling is, like any storytelling, it's simple, right? Yeah. But it's not easy. Oh, no. And that's the thing. Yeah. Like it's, a, it's a simple formula, but it's not easy to do. And as Ian said there, I think a lot of the time, they try and overcomplicate it, yes, and and uh, just make it a bit more convoluted. And a lot, I think, even a lot of the time, especially nowadays, they try and um, make the storyline, uh, sorry, the rivalry, go on longer than it should. Yeah, you know, like there's sometimes like the fifty fifty booking is a curse in WWE. You know, and uh, sometimes sometimes all you need is just one blow off match, one decisive winner, move on. Boom. You, know, you don't need your man doesn't have to get his win back the following week so you can drag this out longer. Sometimes you do need it. But you know the, but the 50-50 bucket drives everyone insane. And just as I said, sometimes you just need that one big blow off. As, as, as I said, it's a simple formula, but it's not easy to do and do do well. Yeah. yeah. And and I think that's what you need people that have been around it with, with experience to kind of help pull it off. You know what I mean? And this is why you were able to pull it off back in the day and WWE where when you're bringing in these like C-list Hollywood writers and stuff like that, I mean, it's like WWE case in point recently, they hired this girl comedian or whatever it was. And she was fired literally the day after she got the job because she went on a podcast or something. like, so, I don't even know what I'm doing. I'm just, you know, I got paid and blah, blah, blah. And she was like, I don't even know what a triple H is or something. I, I'm, um, I'm paraphrasing here, but she basically shit on the job that she got. You know what I mean? WWE had to save face and fire. Stop hiring these idiots. You know what I mean? There's so many people with experience within the wrestling world that you can get in. This whole, I don't know. I don't know. Vince, 
Good Lord. It's, just, it's, really like, a, it's a lack of trust in the process, isn't it? That's, yes. It's yes. the formula that's been there for years. It's the work. Just trust the process. You can see it now. They're, they're trusting it with Roman and stuff like that. They're trusting it yes. in the women's division. And look at that. You know, don't. These things where they start things on a path and then they kill them off after three weeks because it's not getting the reaction that they want. These things take time to bed. Give them a Oil, chance to say it. in point. What did you say? Roman. Who's behind Roman, in fairness? In fairness to him, he gets a lot of shit. Bruce fucking Pritchard. For all the shit Bruce Pritchard gets, he's an old... He knows how the business works. And he's obviously invested in this. SmackDown is his baby, yeah. as far as I'm aware, anyway. Am I, am I wrong? Um, that's his baby, yeah? And it's like Ted said, SmackDown is great these days because you've got... A trust like Vince can go right, Bruce. Just go with this. I'm trusting you to do this. So obviously Bruce is bringing the likes of the guys in. We're not going to steer too far away from WCW, but just we're talking about the process that Joe was talking about there and yourself, Niall. It's a simple formula, complicated by idiots sometimes, and that's and I think that goes for any sport. It's like when you see sport, you know, football or rugby or whatever your your favorite sport is. When you get this coach in trying to overcomplicate things, you're like. Simple fucking, we know the game has been around for so long. All you need to do is put a little tweak here, you know, throw a little bit of sizzle on the steak here every now and then, and boom. You know what I mean? Just slow it down, make it more meaningful, and trust us, we will care. Take a breath. Take a breath, actually. Take a breath. You know, it's like I said on the previous show, I want to like all these new guys, like Kenny Omega and all. I want to like you. Give me reason to, though slow down I know they'll be like who the fuck are you and yeah you're 100% right who the fuck are you but um, where someone the, that where the, where the, the pain, where the wrestling probably more than you do so. we're, the, we're the pain majority yes exactly yeah we want to like you so help us like you do you know what I mean Um, but I think this is what WCW done I think this is a great way to kind of segue into closing off here because I think you know, WCW showed that little balance of all different styles um, coming together, especially in the Nitro era, I think more so. These different styles and meshes of, of uh, different cultures, you know, you had the whole Lucha Libre and the, you had the whole Japanese style come in and you got the British, um, the European and the British style coming in with the likes of you know, Alex Roy coming over, you know, for Alex Roy is a great professional wrestler, even though he was dancing Alex Roy, great professional wrestler. And of course, Regal coming in as well. Finley, uh, Finley gentlemen, Chris Adams, all these guys coming over to the, obviously the Dynamite Kid back in the day, but I'm talking about at the, in this era, um, it, WCW was the, the place to watch professional wrestling. I think that's what breaks my heart more so than anything that WCW kind of ended the way it did because, this was the period of time where this was your professional wrestling show and WWE was your entertainment show. Do you know what I mean? Even though they had great professional wrestlers on WWE, don't get me wrong, you saw some great matches, but when you watched that, you were watching Car Crash TV, which is how WCW ended up later on because of Vince Russo and Ed Ferrara. And all the boys in the back as well. Like they, None of them wanted to, to lose to anybody. Nobody wanted to... Well, that's it. And I mean, like, there's no way Vince Russo brought in kind of um, any kind of, you know, there was no way he kind of brought in any kind of uh, fear or anything, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. With with guys in the back, they'd be like, this is what's happening. Shut your mouth, blah, blah, blah. You saw 
the likes of Disco Inferno, who, by the way, I think Disco Inferno is great. I think even listening to him and watching him on Twitter and listening to some stuff, he knows how the wrestling business works. His gimmick might have been a dancing fool, but he obviously knows how the business works. Um, I mean, I saw Disco Inferno the other day going, Chris Jericho, what are you actually doing? You know, <laughs> what are you actually doing? You're killing your legacy here now. WWE won't even want you back. Um yeah, so I mean, I think I think WCW without a shadow without was, in my opinion, the best professional wrestling company, if that makes sense to people. Um, purely because it was a segue from NWA into this. So it was always, I think, the best professional wrestling company. I think anyone that argues that really doesn't have a leg to stand on because it was just all about professional wrestling in its traditional form. And then WWE, of course, was our entertainment, you know what I mean? With some great wrestling in between. And there's nothing wrong with either. But I think uh, when we look back at WCW, I'm going to shut up now and, and pass it over to you guys, but I just want to say WCW for me will always be my personal favorite um, wrestling company because of um, the values that it had towards the business until, you know, it, it did get pretty shitty later on, but um, up until when WWE kind of started winning again, up until about 1999, I thought it was the best, not necessarily run the best, you know, but um, in terms of what I was watching in the ring, yeah, for me, number one. Ted, any final thoughts? Yeah, I'd, I'd probably agree with Ian there. Like, the WCW did what you need to do if you're going to um, go up against another company. You need to find what is a niche market, and theirs was the cruiserweight division. There was no cruiserweight division in WWF at the time. And yeah. that's what like that's what got you there to watch, and then you stayed for the main event. And that's something that you need. And jo- Joe can attest to this. TNA was did something very similar. They had the X division, but they also had a cracking women's division at the time. Um, their tag team division was brilliant as well when WWE had stepped away from tag team wrestling. That's what yep. they focused on. They didn't focus, like, yes, their main event was there. You know, you had your Kurt Angles, you had your Christian Cages, and you were interested, you had your Stings, you were interested in what they were doing. But the rest of the show was just so entertaining. And yep. that's what kept you there. And then when you lost that, and that's what kind of what happened to WCW, they lost Chris Jericho, they lost Malenko, they lost Benoit, they lost Guerrero. And you could just see it when these boys start leaving, the stuff that's really entertaining starts leaving your company. That's when you know you're kind of going down to shitter. And then obviously- Ted, on that, you made a really good point there that I didn't even think of earlier. You know, um, when we were talking about sets and all earlier, mm. you notice when Russo went in, that's when he tried to make it, it was like WWE light. You yeah. know, and, you had the, and the whole stadium was just bright. You know, the thing about WWE was you wouldn't see the whole crowd because it looked dark. And then you could see the set and the lights were where they needed to be. It was kind of old school. That's actually something Russo brought. And he brought the big, just big curtain with lights and that WCW logo on the back. And it was the same logo for all the pay-per-views and all. And that's, that. I think, yeah, you, you hit on a really good point there. I think Russo kind of almost tried to make, he, he took away the traditions of, of what WCW had built and then, kind of made yeah. it well russo russo is the prime example of um <clears throat> you know giving somebody like anybody creative freedom where they have like the start like it starts with them and it ends with them oh he did that, good work yeah 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 like 
he, you know, he's going to have a lot of ideas and a lot of them are going to be shit. And this is the same thing. You can't give any wrestler full creative freedom. Like, this is what I want to do. No. Because a lot of their ideas are going to be shit. Some of them are going to be amazing. But you need somebody there that goes, no, 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 no. No, yeah. no, no. Hang on. That, that is, that's a terrible idea. And that's what happened to WCW. The likes of Kevin Nash was like, no, it's a great idea. Goldberg's been on this massive winning streak. We need to beat it. And, you know, they were right. Someone eventually needed to beat Goldberg. You couldn't have Goldberg going undefeated into whatever number they'd made up by the time he got defeated. He eventually had to be beaten. But, like, that's not the way to beat him, you know? And somebody should have been there to go, no, 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 hang on. Why don't we have someone like Booker T beat him? And it doesn't have to be a clean finish. You know, Some like you can have us come in and, you know, screw him over. It could be a screwy finish. But let's not have it be, you know, you sticking him with a cattle prod. Like, why does it have to be you, Nash? And that's because nobody was there to say, no, that's a terrible idea. And it was a terrible idea. Like, And that, and was, got- that was Bischoff's fault, in fairness. And, and, and that's the thing, because Bischoff, I think, I think it grew too big for Bischoff, to be fair. That's going to be my, too I think quick. it I think the, the, the joint that he built grew too big for him. He became uh, one of the boys. That was the problem. He became one of the boys. He needed well, to be... To an extent, yeah. The bad guy. Like, you have to be the bad guy sometimes if you're going to be the manager. Like, no manager is the nice guy. You know, exactly. you need to be nice to a point. You have to be a dick eventually, though. You needed the guys like the Pattersons, you yeah. know what I mean? And the Briscoes backstage. And, you know, you needed that kind of... Oh, but that's... Yeah, sorry. Yeah, like, it's, to me, that's just it. Like, they, they got so big and then... They let like, and everyone knows they let the inmates run the asylum, and then the talented guys on the show were like, "We're being offered contracts over in WWE," and then eventually we got the whole invasion angle, which I loved when it first walked in, like when when that first started, you know, the whole here comes WCW. I was like, "Oh shit, here we go!" Then you and got then, Sean Stasiak, and then ECW joined in, and I was like, "Okay, yeah, I can get into this." You know, the Dudleys have turned back, like turned their back on the WWF. You know, and they've joined up. Okay, we're getting something here. And I was like, when are when are we gonna get? You know, when are we gonna get the NWO? And we, you know, we got them way too late. Um, but like, you didn't get Sting. You didn't get. I liked I liked what they did with Flair. I know that was you know have Flair come in after the whole thing and be like, oh, I I bought the consortium. I actually thought that worked very well. But the rest of the the thing, it was you know Kurt Angle and Stone Cold were on team. WWE or WCW slash ECW. Yeah, Rob Van Dam, brilliant. Um, Shane McMahon. Yeah. Um, so like, there's three WWE guys on that. Like Goldberg should have been in there, and he wasn't. Um, now I don't know what you do. Like, how are you, how are you going to beat Goldberg considering the way he was built? But um, well, Triple H will find a way. Well, Triple, see, well, Triple H is the one that I would Thank be very God. interested. He would have been the one I was very interested. I wish he'd been around for that because where would he have been? Because he was, you know, his storyline was he was married to Stephanie. Would he have joined Stephanie or would he have stuck with Vince McMahon? I would have been interested to see what they'd done with him. He would have stuck with Vince. There's no way you're getting Triple H going over rocking the ECW brand. Not a chance. No, but the other way, like, Kurt went over, would, like, or, or and Austin went over. Like, which would, like, sir, sir, I'm sure that Triple H would have been the, you know, Triple H was the massive dick at the time. Anyway, you may as well let him go over and join the heels that were invading. But I wish like the WCW hadn't come to that flittering end of uh, here's a really poor invasion angle because that was something I was really looking forward to um, when they did come in. And we got some good stars. Like you got Booker T and stuff. You got some good names, but... I suppose we wish... I suppose at the basic level, we wish it hadn't have been bought. Yeah, <laughs> I would have liked I was, was, yeah. was going to say that the 
it should never have been like, like okay it being bought it wasn't the end of the world they needed it they needed someone to buy it it is a pity that it was WWE and Vince McMahon just yeah. couldn't wait to bury the it. The worst thing to happen to the wrestling yeah. business ever. Yeah, ever. and he like if Vince McMahon had been had thought with his head instead instead of his yes. heart. Yeah, uh, he should have allowed WCW to continue to operate. Oh yeah, and he would have made so much money. He'd still oh, you be and making, me have talked about this, haven't yeah. we? That, He'd that still week. be making it to this day, and you could even have like you could bring you, you know once a year at Survivor Series saying WCW and WWE send their teams in to, to go against you. You know, he could have done so much and um, and, and made fucking stupid money in the he, process. Shane McMahon at that time wanted to learn. He, want, he wanted to take it over, yeah. That could have been his fucking, there you go. But Vince's fucking ego, unfortunately. Yeah, his, his, as I said, he, thought, he was thinking of his heart instead of his head. Like If he was thinking as an actual businessman, he would have just said, right, I'm taking this over. We're renegotiating contracts, whatever. But it's going to keep. It's going to keep going. We're going to make stupid money. But he was like, "No, you tried to kill me, so I'm killing you off. Goodbye." Yeah. It's, you know, it was such it a was, shame. It, yeah, yeah, a huge evil, shame. Evil defeated good in this particular one, and it really did because I mean, Vince is the evil one here. Let's not make any mistake about it because he is the one that started by taking people's job. You know what I mean? He made promises that so many different territories and didn't stand by it and basically fucked them over and you know so unfortunately it's uh it's like the iron maiden song says uh, only the good die young all the evil lasts forever <laughs> you know i suppose though i suppose uh, though sitting in his chair you have to look at it from his point of view he'd all he'd all these bastards that tried to put him out of business so there was there was an axe to grind well, he there, put maybe. everyone else out of business that's why you know it's not like vince invented the wrestling business that's that's what we're talking yeah, about but an award is only one winner isn't it yeah and the, the winner rewrites the history you know winner writes history and that's unfortunately what vince well, did if that's the case then we should all just love the queen and just say she's deadly no, no. she lost a lot of her wars yeah. well there was still there was still the biggest empire though so no, but, were, no, but yeah. I suppose the disappointing thing that Joe touches on is the fact that we had a man here who was on the way to becoming a billionaire or a multi-billionaire or whatever. And instead yeah. of thinking with his wallet and his pocket, he yeah. let his head take over and his emotion. Um, and as we say, it caused him so much coinage in the end, you know. But well, it's case in point, isn't it? How we got rid of Eric Bischoff by throwing him in a dump truck because... I'm going to write you in here because he remembers that slamboree pay-per-view you know, in 1998. Like, that's how Vince operates, you know what I mean? It's uh, But look, I suppose it is what it is. I mean, it, it's devastating to think that, that that this company is no longer in operation. And I, I saw some photos of, like, the empty warehouses and all just as they were getting packed out. And you see those old WCW rings. We actually got trained in, a, in an old-school one, Joe, if you remember. Over in uh, Kent, it was one of the ones apparently that that was an old WCW ring. That's what we were told. It was one of the original ones from 1993, apparently that they had bought. So, um, it's 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 sad in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? That that uh, you know AEW is in operation now and WCW isn't, and that's kind of why I have a little bit of like hope for AEW. I'm like, come on, come on, please, just. At least, uh, the, the, fear, the fear is history repeats itself, doesn't it? We say in a It is the fear, but then at the same time, it's like, right, you're not dealing with conglomerates here. Like you're dealing with a sole ownership that can tell a 
television network to fuck off yeah. and hopefully go elsewhere too. Do you know what I mean? But if but if you continue to focus on being the alternative, you will grow and grow and grow and you will. Oh no, absolutely! Don't don't try and become Monday night AEW. Focus I think this is, I think this is a perfect time to say this. Actually, Vince McMahon was asked about it and he said AEW doesn't hold a candle to WCW recently. You probably heard the reports recently. Yeah, only yeah. today. Vince McMahon says no. There's no comparison with AEW and WCW because he's like they gave me competition. But at the same time, don't forget this. WCW was a company that it took a long time to do that. You know what I mean? I, I, yeah, I think, I think I, he had I to think, come out though, didn't he? He I, had to come out and. But in fact, it took them ten years to do that. I, I, I think in terms of business, though, I think Vince would be quite happy to have competition because he knows it'll reek in coinage. Oh no, a hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, you can see, you can see at the moment what he's saying. Big Show saying, "I'm going to head over here. Best of luck, go for it." You know, Mark Henry, best of luck, go for it. Chrissy Cage, best of luck, go for it. He's oh yeah, happy. Vince, he's, Vince, he's, Vince actually said that. He goes, "Maybe I can give them some more of my stars." <laughs> so, yeah, you know what I mean. But also, but you think about careful, it, like with Jericho, careful what you wish for too, though, because. Yeah, but I, th- I I think WWE and Vince at the time, like now, they always have the ability to step up more. You know what I mean? And that's what we that's what we we strive for as fans. I, w- I would I would agree with that actually. Yeah. I would agree with that because obviously they can they can look at what the fans have wanted now for a long time. For example, your Finn Balor's, your Samoa Joe's, your Kevin Owens. You know all these guys. They can say right, we wanted these guys to step up, and then the the, the alternative fan base like ourselves who are looking at the likes of you know, Kenny Omega and Cody Rhodes and all that. And, yeah. and, you know, obviously the big one coming back, CM Punk, I think that's going to be a game changer. I really do. Um, and I think it will cause WWE to look at it a little bit because they're probably not fobbing it off and going, ah, it's not a big deal to us, but it really is. Like CM Punk's, regardless of what people think, he's pretty much the hottest free agent for the last fucking you know, eight years or whatever it is like, and it's it's gonna be monumental. I mean, look, they're they're, they're already after doing a show now, randomly doing a show in Chicago for an AEW special mm. dynamite, and it's sold out. Boom, done in the Staples Center. Yeah. Um, I think on that thing with Vince though, like he was he was never gonna come out and go, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am a little bit worried that they might become competition. It was at a board meeting, he was always gonna turn around and go. Who? AEW? Not worried about them. Let them. They're nothing to me. He was always going to come out and say that. He said the same thing about WCW. Yeah, but like that's because you have to do that. You know, you're you're at a board meeting. You're not going to tell the people that are investing in your company. Yeah, I'm a little bit about, you know, the boys over there. You're always just going to say, not worried about them. Closing off and sticking with WCW for me, that's all I wanted to say was purely that I hope AEW is that WCW. Oh, yeah, we all do. But I mean, and, um, it, less of this Nick Gage stuff, like the less people like him that get any sort of notoriety or, or camera time for me is, is better. No offense to the man. No, he's trying to feed his family and all that kind of stuff. But it's it's not it's not professional wrestling. I think that's that's something that WCW didn't go down. That's the road that WCW never went down, never had to. Um, even when they brought in the likes of Sandman, they called him Hack. And it was a watered down version, you know what I mean? Seeing someone like Chris Jericho, fifty years of age, getting like cut left, right, and center, and it's, 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 it looks, it looks, it's, it's kind of sad actually. I am looking forward to seeing Juventud Guerrero there next week, though. 
I am indeed, and I've reached out to him as well to try and get him on the dozen. I'm, lo- I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be, well, I don't know. I <laughs> hope it's going to be brilliant, but I mean, the two boys are what? They must both be nearly in their 50s now. If no, the Hooventude is only 46. Oh, is he? Hooventude uh, <laughs> can still go. Oh yeah, well, you know, but like, you know, they're not young, young lads like they were back in the WCW days, but I'm hoping they can still put on a cracker of a show. It'll, like be, for... it'll be a cracker. Too. Oh yeah, I think it will. And I'm looking forward to that. Like, so more of that, please. Ted, anything yes. is an improvement on light bulbs and pints of glass. I know. Yeah, but I'm looking for like even that notwithstanding, if they just said to me, oh, Juventud Guerrero is going to be on next week, I'd have been like, yeah, 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 good. The juice. The juice. Yeah. Bring on, bring on some more of them boyos for him to go up against. Two called Scorpio, get him in. Yeah. <laughs> well, lads, it's been an absolute pleasure looking back at WCW and the impact that it had on the wrestling business. And still to this day, we sell Halloween Havoc shirts, we sell Starcade shirts, we sell NWO shirts. Joe, we spoke about it on that episode. Those NWO shirts still walk around the world as if they're new and fresh. So that's the legacy that it left. And yes. We live in hope that AEW will become that new WCW and provide proper competition. And as Conan says, Odale, arriva la razza. <laughs> Gentlemen, until next time, Dynamo Podcast Network for the videos, audio on Anchor through Spotify, Podbean, Apple iTunes. This has been your four podmen look back at WCW's impact on the pro- professional wrestling business. Till next time, man. Cheers. Look.